becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. That's where we're going to start. The beginning. beginning. Okay, here we are at the beginning. At the beginning. Cheers. Welcome, guys, to the shorts. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, I love this place. Happy Wednesday night. Yeah, (laughs) we're back in the studio. That's right. (laughs) Last week we were at Medici headquarters. Uh huh. Super exciting. It was actually kind of fun. It was interesting how it, for me, it put me in a different headspace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I think I, my brain thought differently, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm glad to be back in the, the warm bosom of, of familiarity. <laughs> well, you also mean it's your lights. It's the, yeah. it's that, that room you're in was a little bit more sterile. You know? Right. So why is your place so sterile? <laughs> Cause that's how I am. <laughs> <'Cause it's, laughs> yeah. All the magic is in my head. Uh, <laughs> I don't need things. On my you don't walls. let it come out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Keep it all for myself. <laughs> exactly. It's funny. Well, we left off last week, uh, with something we had wanted to talk about, but didn't get to, you want to mm. start there? Yeah. Do you want to read that, that, uh, kind of tweet thread thing? Oh, I'm not prepared. I don't have it pulled up, but uh, I will, I'll get it. I have it memorized. Wow. No, (laughs) (laughs) Time is really strange. I feel like the last week has taken a long time to go by. Hmm. Yeah. You were without energy. That's probably part of it. Electricity for almost a week. Yeah. Six days. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So I'm not going to read it word for word, but the, the gist is that I, I realized recently that, um, and you can find the thread on my Twitter. It's from about a week ago, but I realized recently that I, I think I am by default really good at doing things I don't want to do. Hmm. And I think part of the reason for that is that I'm high in conscientiousness mm-hmm. in my personality. And so I'm naturally attracted to like to discipline, mm-hmm. you know, for example, like practicing music. It's never like I can say I'm going to practice music for two hours a day and I'll do it. Like, I really like that. Um, but another aspect of it, I think, is that I had kids really young. Uh, I was 23 when my first was born. Mm-hmm. Um, you were in your mid-20s, right? Like, yeah. You must 27. have been 27. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so for me, basically right out of college, I had a baby, which I think immediately put me into, like, hyper-responsible, disciplined mode. Yeah. Like, I need to make sure that this child is taken care of. Um, so I never really spent much time in my life sort of just living for me. Mm-hmm. And this is not a complaint whatsoever. Yeah. Like, I'm glad for that. I think it, I think it taught me well. But I've realized something recently, now that I'm 40, um, and my kids are older, and I've got a lot more time to decide what to do with for myself, that I'm not very good at doing things that I want to do. Mm. I'm not even really good at admitting what I want to do. <laughs> so I was just thinking the same thing. I was like, what do you want to do? You know, it's yeah. like, that's, that's <clears throat> one thing I want to do. Um, and, and I, I just tweeted out about that and said, how do I get better at doing what I want to do? And that kind of opened up a bit of a Twitter discussion between you and, uh, I can't remember who else chimed in. Mm-hmm. I think maybe my friend Rigel or Matt, mm-hmm. um, but we thought it was an, in, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, 
we thought it was an interesting topic of conversation to, to start and, and maybe dig at a little bit and see where it goes. Yeah. Cause you, do you remember what you responded, how you responded to that? I do. So maybe I want to like, cause I think there's something to tease out here with, uh, doing what you want to do and also being able to do the being responsible and doing the things you have to do. Uh, I think there's, we tend to be kind of be one on, on one side or the others. One maybe is more dutiful and doing the things that they have to do. And some people are more maybe fanciful in that they do what they want to do. Right. And so usually like there's some sort of like one or the other has to kind of lean towards the other way. Like, you know, someone who's more fanciful and does only what they want to do, they might actually need to focus on what they need to do. And yeah. that's something that they need to work on where it's the opposite for someone who's maybe more dutiful, you know, kind of open up that creativity and fancifulness of doing what you want to do. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't know if we want to start there and kind of look at those two aspects. And then there's a part that the more of the part, what I was commenting on is that is as you're getting into the things you want to do and the things you have to do, there's a certain interplay with those two things. Right. <clears throat> well, I've, I think I've said this on the podcast before, potentially, uh, that I've kind of run this thought experiment or, or question. I was going to say thought question, um, which just sounds funny to me. But I've wondered what would happen to your life if you were to only do exactly what you wanted to do. Like you get up in the morning and whatever it is that you want to do, it's like, if you don't want to go to work, you don't go to work. If you want to eat waffles, you eat waffles. I don't know. <laughs> you want to read a book, you want to go for a run, you want to watch a movie, you know, and you just sort of follow your own desire. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think either your life would fall apart almost immediately, or maybe you would become somehow wildly successful. So I sort yeah. of imagine that of Joe Rogan. Mm -hmm. Like I think Joe Rogan just kind of does what he wants to do. Like he podcasts three times, four times a week, not because he needs to yeah. or anyone's asking him to, mm -hmm. he does it because he wants to. And I think what would my life be like if I did everything that I wanted to do? And that's kind of a scary proposition because I think if you were to do that and it fell apart, if your life completely fell, fell apart, the indictment would be your own desires are wrong and destructive. And that would be really hard because I think we sort of, our desires are a part of our person personality. That's not right. They're a part of who we are in some yeah. sense. They Maybe describe like us. Something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so to, to have that indicted would be really difficult. <clears throat> However, I think most of us sort of think if we were to do the things that we really wanted to do, we, we believe somehow that that would be successful in some way. Well, I, I would probably take the stance that if you do only what you want to do, you will end up impoverished. Well, then that's my point. Mm -hmm. And so you have to ask yourself like a, a real question of like, well, what is it that I really want? Mm -hmm. Because we all have desires that are that are beyond sort of the, I think when we say do what you want to do, mm -hmm. we think very short term and selfishly about that. Like True. I'm going to eat donuts and, mm -hmm. you know, watch a movie or whatever. Yeah. But we also have all kinds of desires like, well, I want to run this podcast mm -hmm. and I want this to go well and be successful. Yeah. That's something that I want. Mm -hmm. And 
there's really no barrier between you and the donut and no barrier between you and the couch. Right. Mm -hmm. Or maybe the barrier is, well, if I don't go to work, I might get fired. If I do that instead of work, I might get fired. Mm -hmm. There's some other barrier between higher order desires, like running this podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, a commitment of time. There's a commitment of engagement and research. There's a commitment for post-production and, marketing and sharing, mm -hmm. you know, well, I want this podcast and I want it to be successful, but I run up against these blocks all the time. Yeah. Like, you know, how many times have I failed to release the episode that we record, mm -hmm. you know, for a month. And so what the place I arrive is, well, if, so two things, one, if you were to do what you wanted to do, you would have to confront your own desires such that you'd have to choose the desires that were conflicting with one another. Mm. Right. Like I might say, I'm, I'm tired and I really don't feel like doing this, but I know that I really want this podcast. And so I'm going to push myself through it. Mm. Right. Or maybe we're nervous. We don't feel like we have much to say, but we're going to engage it anyways, despite our own potential fear of shame. And so the place that I arrived at the end of this Twitter thread was, I feel like what we want or don't want is less of some sort of personal desire and more of a product of the highest value that we set. Hmm. Whatever our highest value is or our highest desire, our highest want then produces all of the subsequent lower order desires and wants. Mm -hmm. Like, do you want such a bad, <laughs> feel free to come up with a better set of wants, but it's like, right. <laughs> do you want this donut, you know, set in a vacuum? You're like donuts are, they taste delicious. Yes. I want that donut. Do you want to run a marathon? That's always been a dream of mine, or maybe I'm training for it. Now, mm -hmm. do you want the donut? No, I don't want the donut. It conflicts with a higher order desire. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, so it's interesting. I, I kind of see this, the same idea. We've talked about this man, maybe a year ago or so, but the idea of, uh, you'll have to remind me who said this, but the idea that we, you know, we, we teach kids how to read and to write and to do arithmetic and it's a pain in the ass at the beginning because it seems like it has no meaning. But then without that sort of like discipline, they'll never know the equations of the universe mm -hmm. or Shakespeare or, you know, T.S. Eliot or, um, or be able to write out like how they feel or what they're thinking. And so there's, there's a sort of like discipline that underlines all those things. So I think an unfettered doing what you want will always lead to impoverishment. However, if it's, if it's built on a, a bedrock of discipline and duty, I think that's something that, hmm. uh, because I don't think you can understand higher order values without having some sort of discipline. Um, because again, when you think of discipline is like, I have a goal and I have to do these certain things in order to meet this goal. Uh, and that can sound very dry. And I think that's why I kind of, you have, you know, there's a lot of cliche artist examples in this and that they might be on drugs or, uh, alcoholic for periods of time. And then they just have this burst of creative energy, you know, and then 
then they just crash again, you know, but then there, you kind of hear of these other artists. Like, I mean, I think like, uh, uh, Tom Petty or, um, uh, who's the guy that, Oh shoot. You know, as I'm talking out of my element now, uh, he's electronic, he did electronic music, super famous. That's a, that's a broad net to Jeez, cast. Yeah. Well, he was kind of one that I think kind of put, put it on the map you know, in a mainstream way. Mm. And he burned uh, out two, two, two mics, two mics and a microphone or two turntables and a microphone. Yeah. Be- Jeff, uh, not Jeff Beck, but Beck Beck. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, those were some super disciplined, yeah. you know, people. And so I, th- I feel and, like, yeah, he didn't burn out. He's, he's been, going hard for a long time. He mm-hmm. also has one of the best bands, one of the best live bands mm. in, in touring. Yeah. But I feel like the most people I've, I've, I know that are super successful. They have this sort of underlying discipline, right? But you, you also know that they're doing what they want and what they love. Well, or so, it so, seems. so I think the case you're making is that, or at least this was interesting to me is that, Yes, what you want is a product of a high, higher order value, but you can't, you don't know how high it's possible to set that value unless you enter it through discipline. Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. I don't see a way around it. I, I, see, I see moments of creativity and moments of, of you know, however you want to define success. Uh, you know, I've talked about this, you know, I don't know on the, on the podcast, but about the, the first record versus the second record mm-hmm. and you know, the first, your first book versus your second book. There's just, there's just something that can come out of maybe your childhood, your teenage years that creates this first album. That's amazing. Mm. But it's almost accidental. Almost. Yeah. Almost accidental. Maybe raw talent or something like that, that kind of produces that. Um, but it came out of like a, a hardship or uh, something that you just felt like you had to get out. But once you got it out, what else is there? What's left? What's left? Yeah. And I think that's the real test of um, something that is uh, can kind of move throughout time and into like what you want. Cause even, even in that instance, it's sort of like you almost, it's not even that you wanted it. It was something you couldn't even, you couldn't not do it in that instance. That's interesting. So <clears throat> if you're only doing what you want and something is, is successful, then mm-hmm. it's by definition accidentally successful mm-hmm. cause you couldn't not do it Yeah, because you're only doing what you want. Mm-hmm. So then you don't have a framework with which to continue to pursue it. That framework requires showing up, engaging when it doesn't work, and being disciplined to continue to do so Mm. when you might want to do other things. So, you know, I guess there are those who break out and are accidentally successful, and then they say, oh, now I know what I'm capable of, what's possible. They set a higher order value, and then they align their life around that. Mm -hmm. And that resolves their wants and not wants in the direction they point it. Mm-hmm. But that does, that does require <clears throat> self-awareness and discipline that most don't come by naturally when they're young. 
it, it does seem like in, in what you're saying, there's almost a, an aspect of this is like reorienting your values. Uh, and I think that happens naturally as you, as you age in general. Um, because again, if you're, if your whole goal is to be famous, well, how famous and, you know, once you achieve a certain amount of fame, that is sort of like the law of diminishing returns. Like you don't feel as famous as you probably would have seen yourself 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I have a hundred thousand followers on Twitter. It's like, Whoa, that's amazing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's almost as if you have one. Yeah. And, and so you shoot for a million and then you get a million. It's like, it, it, so, so something there, I think there's this, there's this pattern that starts to kind of develop is like, well, what is that? Is that, that's not really success. It's like to get followers or to make money. Hmm. And so there's a sort of like, if you don't have like a, uh, you keep kind of shifting or reorienting your value system into higher orders at some point, it seems like it has a sort of negative impact. If it's all about followers or if it's all about money, it seems like there are, there's a sort of hollowness to that. That doesn't, I don't, I don't well, know. I think we all agree probably that things like fame and money <clears throat> are not a high, very high value. Yeah. And, and uh, not a very high order value. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't this kind of the lesson in like the Bible, mm. like the warnings about money? Mm. It isn't that money is bad by any means. It's yeah. that it, it is not the proper value Hmm. and vanity is the same. Hmm. You know, it isn't that beauty is bad. It's just, or your image is bad that it should not be good. Mm -hmm. It's that that's not the proper highest order of of value. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. Well, just the idea of, you know, how long does it take you to learn that kind of stuff? I mean, it's something that I feel is undeniable and you can't, it's a, it's a sort of principle embedded in human nature that no matter uh, that you can't break, you know, that you have to have a higher order than say, um, you know, beauty or money or, uh, I mean, even, even things that, you almost have to have an unattainable goal to be your highest order. <clears throat> and the whole idea is you will never reach that. If you want it to continue to inspiring you forward yeah. to the end of your life, then right. Mm-hmm. It has to be unattainable. Yeah. Let's, let's poke holes in that. I mean, well, cause even if it's just sort of like, I want to have a beautiful family and, you know, just, wake up every day and go to work. And that's kind of what I want. There's a simple life. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm like, I'm like, do people really want that? <laughs> well, I, that's, that's sort of a, um, maybe that's a personal thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it leads you to the question of like, well, what should you value? What mm-hmm. should a person value? Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of Nietzsche's idea that men can't create their own, their own values. Mm they're kind of screwed after the death of God because, well, how do you answer a question? Like, what should you value Hmm. without the concept of God? Hmm. 
it doesn't really matter, right? Like every man can value whatever he wants to value. And the, the man who just says, well, you know, I just want to work every day and be comfortable in the evenings and play video games and, you know, say hello to my kids and for them to not be too much trouble. It's like, how can I tell you? Cause my, my response to that is you're leaving much on the table. Mm-hmm. You could be doing so much more. You could be making life so much better for yourself and for those around you if you set some higher values, but he can just say, well, you know, to each his own, Mm -hmm. this is what I want. Why are you judging what I want? Yeah. You know, and then because I see something more. Well, let's look at the, there's, there's kind of two examples. Maybe we can kind of go into demonstrate that because I, I, I want to push against that idea. I think it only leads to, disarray if you don't have higher goals. Uh, one I'm thinking of is again, this may be anecdotal or, or cliche, but as people get older and they stop working or a spouse dies or um, they no longer have something to do. It's like usually you see old people deteriorate a lot faster at that point, whenever they don't have anything, any purpose or anything to do. Um, and I think of like in Victor Frankl, whenever, you know, he would, he kind of just mentions that, uh, once somebody lost hope of the future, it's like, they'd almost die Mm -hmm. within days. And I think there's something fundamental to our being in that sense. Let's tell that story. A little bit more Victor Frankl story because that mm-hmm. that point really astounded me. So for those who maybe don't know, Victor Frankl uh, lived through the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. I think he was in Dachau and Auschwitz mm-hmm. at least, maybe one more. But <clears throat> he was talking about how basically everyone was sick with typhoid and other kinds of things, you know, and they were rail skinny. I mean, all the images you have in your mind. But Working he was, out in the snow. And yeah, with like no shoes. On. And mm-hmm. that he basically said that the difference between living and dying was hope. Mm-hmm. And that there would be times. Well, what did he say about the cigarettes? That basically oh. like you saved the cigarettes for the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Because he said you could tell that a man was going to die if when he got up, the first thing he did was light a cigarette. Mm-hmm. It meant he lost hope and he'd be dead within hours. And other men would live through, you know, seemingly what, what we would think would surely kill someone and it didn't. Mm -hmm. And his takeaway was that it was hope that made the difference. Yeah. So it's because I think whenever you kind of start to, to meet in the middle in this sort of humdrum, semi hope, semi future, um, Well, shit, I don't know. I guess the kind of future hope that's sort of like just enough. I feel like you can't you can't settle for just enough because uh, it has to be something that's bigger than you, or else you kind of succumb to that same mm-hmm. idea that Victor Frankl is talking about. It. But it's prolonged. It's like a slower death over a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. So, so, like, you, so, you, so re, like, re, repeat that or restate that. Okay, I'll try. I'll try to. Um, the whole idea of, of if you don't have a high, a, a very high hope or future goal that's that's big, 
And it's something that's just really small, like just being able to come home and have dinner and watch TV and go to bed. And if it's not bigger than yourself, bigger than yourself. At some point it's almost, you become sort of a zombie and you're just doing this thing hmm. of coming home and eating and going to bed. And he's like, are you happy? Yeah, I'm happy. Nothing's, nothing's too bad. Yeah. Well, or it can go the other direction and you become like a megalomaniac with hmm. a God complex. You have nothing bigger than yourself, but maybe you have an ambition mm-hmm. and it becomes all about you. Hmm. And, and in those kinds of instances, I, I, yeah, I feel like I'm being very anecdotal here, but I feel I kind of want to be in a sense because we're kind of working around an idea here. And I think dealing with uh, these sort of archetypes of like the megalomaniac, you know, like, or the, the person who just comes home, sloth. eats. Yeah, sloth. Would be the other, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, uh, the other extreme, the other extreme, yeah. <clears throat> but the megalomaniac, it, it's it, like that kind of person will basically find themselves alone, yeah, because they are they're the center of their universe verse, and their goal doesn't doesn't incorporate something bigger than themselves. Hmm. They are God. They are their whole world, and I think there's enough examples of these kind of things in literature that are kind of supposed to teach us this, that, you know, you have to have goals that are bigger than yourself. I mean, if you, if, if you think about, uh, kind of like Jesus told his disciples, it's like, you know, love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your soul. And then also love your neighbor as yourself. And it's like, how do you love God? (laughs) It's like, that sounds impossible. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, it is. Well, if I, try to reverse engineer that mm-hmm. something else that was running through my mind is you don't, well, maybe it is, it's not proper to have desires which are only for themselves or you mm-hmm. like, so for example, I want a donut. I'm eating a donut. That's, that's for me just because a donut tastes good. It's for my own satisfaction. Mm-hmm. It is much better to have desires which are in service of something. Hmm. So I want to eat healthy so that I am more physically capable, stronger, hmm. live longer, or that's a better desire. Or I want to get up early so that I can work on this creative project that I've been inspired by and still make it to work on time. Mm -hmm. Like that's a desire in service of something in service of inspiration, in service of health. Mm -hmm. And the, why would you do those things? Or let me give one more example. Um, I'm going to make sure I finish all my work up half an hour early today so that I can run by the store and pick up uh, that that one in, one uh, ingredients for that one meal that my uh, partner, my wife, really likes, and I'm going to grab flowers on the way. Why would you do something like that? Well, because my desires are in service of something which is outside of me and bigger mm-hmm. than me and of a higher order. And because I love that thing, Hmm. I love this creative project I'm working on. I love when I feel good. I love my wife. Hmm. 
And, you know, maybe those examples I gave are like of orders of, there's an order of magnitude different between the wanting the donut and wanting to please your wife. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, how many orders of magnitude are there between those things and the statement? I love God. Therefore, you know, what does it even mean to love God to your point? Who is even God? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it isn't obvious how you, how your life would be in service of God. Mm-hmm. But I think in some, in some way, and this isn't my thought, I think I've derived this from Peterson, but we all serve a God. God is what your life is in service of because your life is in service of something. And it may be just your own five senses and the pleasure that they experience. Maybe pleasure is your God. It may just be your wife, maybe your boss. It may be the image you have of what a good man is at odds with your disappointment in your father. You know, or it may be the image of what good is as derived through reading history or reading religious texts. Hmm. And something like God is sort of the highest order value. It's almost like the word God is a placeholder for that. Yeah. Just like I think heaven is sort of a placeholder word for what if everything was as known and seen and complete as it possibly could be. I like the picture you're, you're painting because it makes me think of sort of a ladder, you know, you, you, at a younger age, you kind of start climbing this ladder and you think, Oh, my friends are the, are the world to me. And then you kind of keep, but then you kind of have some friends come and go and maybe you have some that stay longer and, and well, what am I going to do with my life? Like my friends are important, but I kind of need something. I need to do something. Yeah. And so you start, maybe you're a, a, a bagger or you work at Chili's or something like that. And it's like, okay, well I'm going to do the best I can. Like I remember I worked at Chili's and I, I think I did 78 cups like you like these these mugs you you kind of like put them in your fingers you can do like eight to ten in your fingers and then you you cradle them in your arms and and it's like (laughs) wait you carried yeah 76 months and so it's like it's like the the excitement in your eyes when you're telling the story but that's the thing is like it was like such like a accomplishment because that's something that we all kind of like you know tried who won who could do the most yeah right and one time i did it and i had so you have a whole bunch of free ones in the middle uh it's hard to explain Anyways, but they're not supported by anything except for pressure from mm-hmm. the outside. And are these mugs containing liquid? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, some of them are. It's like uh, uh, you'll dump out the dust uh, uh, dust tub, uh, uh, the bin or whatever. Mm-hmm. And at one time, they started just kind of like falling. <laughs> It's like you're rushing and you start kind of putting it down. You're walking and keeping your knees underneath. To make you up. <laughs> Anyways, but, but again, it's like the, you start seeing these, like you start feeling this sort of accomplishment by achieving these certain tasks, by being good at something, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's just being a busboy or a barista or, you know, you kind of start working your way 
I feel like that kind of like when you start pursuing that avenue, it's like, well, what am I actually capable of? And so I think whenever you have this sort of as God as this as this top thing, like what you're capable of, you don't know what that is. And but if you have some sort, if you put some sort of ceiling on that, I feel like you, you're either growing or you're dying. It's kind of like mm. it's kind of what I kind of feel like in this area is, is and I think that's why that sort of like what's on the top of the ladder is, is, is God. And then if you don't keep climbing that ladder and it's like, you're, you're basically climbing off the ladder, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know if I did, if I did that very well, but I mean, that seems important to me. We live in movement, mm-hmm. whether that's physical and temporal, or did I, did I use that word wrong? Or, across time, mm-hmm. we're always moving. You can choose the direction that you move, yeah. but you don't get to choose not to move. Hmm. It seems like extreme examples are so much more easier to see this because sometimes in the, in the mundane, it's harder to acknowledge these types of things, you know, in, in the days before electricity and you had to, you know, whether it be covered wagon days or you're traveling across, you know, a field, a field, uh, a continent or something is you're going to, you're going to run into situations where you have to keep moving or you die. And it's not, there's no, there's no, there's no second option. Like if I lay down right now, I die. Mm-hmm. And I think today with the luxury of, of modern conveniences, we don't have that same sort of extreme to teach us these really basic concepts that as humans that we've had for, you know, thousands and thousands of years, but we're learning it in a different direction. I think, I think we maybe see this in some of our, you know, with, you know, the drugs we have and, um, possibly even depression that we have. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people, you know, are either depressed or disenchanted with their lives. And, hmm. and I think that has a lot to do is like, we just don't have big enough goals or, or a higher calling, you know, however you want to phrase that. Well, and we had, we avoid adversity. Mm-hmm. Well, and also just with Nietzsche, I mean, it really happened. I think Nietzsche was the sort of the, one of the signposts of that is God is dead. What do we do? Yeah. I mean, that's basically how I read that statement. <laughs> Serious question. <laughs> yeah. What do we do? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think from that, from that moment on, you know, through the enlightenment, stuff like that, we haven't sufficiently answered that question. And I would say probably because God is not dead, but as a society, I think we do and act as if God is dead. Hmm. And we're trying to fill that with some, with something. And there's, there's just nothing sufficient to fill that, Hmm. that higher calling, that top of the ladder, that what are you climbing towards? What are you moving towards? You know, again, I, I, I don't see, I don't see, I don't see a way around that. I mean, maybe it's something that you sort of, you can even just giving up and accepting like, well, this is just life. 
you know, you're here for a little bit and then you die. You maybe do something worthwhile and love your kids. And I don't think, I don't think we're okay with that answer. Hmm. And I don't feel like our society has demonstrated that we're okay with that answer, especially the more affluent West that don't have maybe the problems that third world countries do with, you know, the problems of life and death, <laughs> you know, well, seriously. I think there's something deep in us that knows that we are capable of wanting more <clears throat> in two ways. I mean, one in greed, but also another in love for lack of a better term at the moment. But It's like you might have a desire that's in service of something and you might look at that forthrightly and say, all of my desires, all the things that I want to do seem to be in service of my own pleasure. And then what's interesting is there's another part of you which can say, well, is that really what you want? Do you want your life to be in service of your own pleasure? And you might think, no, I want something more than that. I want my life to be, you know, good for my family, good, good for a potential lover or good for my community. I mean, you're, you're able to say, I want more than that. And I don't think there's really any limit. This is back to the idea of setting a higher order value. There's no limit to that. It's not like you, a, a person gets to a point where it's like, I figured out the most that can be wanted or desired for. Again, it's like God is a placeholder for the most you can imagine, but the closer you get to it, the more, the bigger it seems. Mm -hmm. It's like it expands faster than you can imagine it in some way. And, and so to the person who says, here's my life, I'm satisfied. Mm -hmm. Unless that person's on their deathbed, I think that if you imagine a character in a show or a movie that says that, let's say a 40 year old man, here's my life. I'm satisfied. I'm in want of nothing more. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't feel good about that character. And you don't want to watch that show. Right. <clears throat> because what really mm -hmm. <laughs> you've, you've done everything you want to do and you can't imagine anything new to want, you know, that becomes mundane immediately, mm. no matter if it's a billionaire <clears throat> character or a homeless character. Yeah. You're like, no, you're capable of more. Mm. We know that intuitively. It becomes difficult to make the point in response to a narrative, though, because, well, in the absence of God, culturally, the culture wants to say, Everybody should be able to live however they want to live. And if he's saying he's satisfied, then you should respect that he's satisfied and that that's enough. But I think that that goes against human nature. Yeah. Because, well, you can probably derive what I think of human nature from this conversation, <laughs> that it is that it is to be in service of God, yeah. which is to say of a higher order value. And that higher order value grows as you approach it. And so someone who says, I found it like, I don't, I'm not okay with that. Mm. That's not a good character. It's not a trustworthy person. 
or even the person who's who kind of confidently says that they know God. Mm. It's like there's also I think there's there's a wake up call in that in that no you don't you know I think there's because if you don't continue to pursue it I mean it, it leads back to whole shores of ignorance you know as mm-hmm. my island of knowledge expands so do the shores of my ignorance that's great is like the more that you know and understand God the more you understand how little you know and understand God right and that's kind of part and parcel with that growth is that the closer you get to something, the less you know of it, but you are also closer. And that comes back to some basic axioms that I've never been able to break for myself and that I live by or have hold dear. And I've mentioned a few times, but the whole idea is like, I know who I am, but I also don't know who I am. And both of those things exist at the same time. It's like, I know Matt, I know you, but I also don't know you. Like mm-hmm. those two things exist at the same time. And I feel like that's kind of like a lot of times when people will say like, Oh, you can't know God. It's like, well, maybe not in that way, but you can know God. It reminds me, I think Brett Weinstein has said this, that hmm. and he, I think he said it in the book, uh, hunter gatherers guide to the 21st century. Hmm. Um, but anytime you run across a paradox, a paradox is like X marks the spot hmm. for treasure essentially. And, Correct me if you know this is incorrect or not. Uh, <laughs> Brett is Jewish uh, by race, mm. but is not practicing. And I think he would describe himself as either agnostic or atheist. Mm. Probably agnostic, I think you'd say. Yeah. Which baffles me because when you say something like a paradox is X marks the spot, in my view, that's pointed at God. Mm. Yeah. Again, whatever God is. And maybe that Brett would respond and say, well, that's why I'm an ag- agnostic. I'm re- responding to you saying whatever God is mm-hmm. rather than you saying the God of the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a hard thing with, with, with people, uh, with, with all of us. I mean, <clears throat> is we somewhat want to dis- discount somebody who says, like, I know God. Like, how can you know God? You mm-hmm. know, and, and most of the time when they're referring to that, they're referring to like, I know who I am, like, or, or I know Matt, or I know, I know my wife. That's mm-hmm. usually like what that response means. And then like, and, and another response to that is like, how can you know God? What is yeah, God? You're talking about a social knowledge rather than a mm-hmm. personal knowledge. Yeah. Or a, a relational knowledge versus like a totality knowledge. Like I could never say like, I know Matt, mm-hmm. you know, that's like, and there's it, lots of me that you don't know. Yeah. And, and I can never say like, I know, I know who I am in totality because I don't know who I am. And so, so it, it's, it's interesting to see when people talk about that idea of God, there's usually, they're usually on one side or the other of that, that X, uh, that, that statement mm-hmm. of like, you can't know God. Like, it's like, infinite on missions like how do you even outside of time it's like god that makes no everything sense at all that is to be known <laughs> yeah yeah you'd have to be god to know god yeah, exactly yeah <clears throat> but i feel like that's the thing is like it's demonstrated in the world like there's there's pretty much everything that we have is a paradox and hmm. maybe a uh like another analogy to that is i could say to you it's like uh you know chopin <laughs> 
Chopping? Chopping. Oh, Chopping. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally, yeah. <laughs> I can say, you know Chopin? Mm-hmm. You say, yeah. And I say, okay, play his sonata mm. number 13. Like, like 12, oh, no, I, I don't know it that way. <laughs> yeah. you know? uh, Knowing is such a strange term because mm-hmm. we use it to describe all kinds of relationships with things. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's like you can know an aspect or... You know, there's, there's plenty of people that, that I've met through you. And if someone would ask me if I, if I knew them, I'd like, oh yeah, I know them right through Matt and I've met them before Yeah, and I know them, but I don't know them as you would know them, you know? And who is it? I, it might be McGilchrist who made the point that it's either McGilchrist or C.S. Lewis about knowing a person. Hmm. If I know someone and you don't, and I say, oh, you should meet Lisa. And I can tell you all about who Lisa is mm. and the reasons I think that y'all would get along or whatever. But when you actually meet her, you're going to meet a very different person mm. than the person I described. And you're actually going to, she is going to be different to you than she is to me. I will never know the Lisa you know. <clears throat> yeah. And you will never know the Lisa I know. Mm. Because aspects of who we are are expressed through relationship, which means that we are unique to each and every one that we relate with. That's beautiful. And when we say something like knowing God, I I think the deepest level of that is, well, could I know you the way in the full way that you are? Mm -hmm. Can I know you the way that your kids know you, the way that your wife knows you, the way that your dad knew you? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it's impossible for me to, but if I'm omniscient, omnipresent, and what's the outside of time, Mm -hmm. well, then I can. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what God is. And so to be known by God is to be known fully. Mm. And I think one of the deepest, darkest desires of man, of human nature, is to to be, it's like the deep secret desire is to be known fully. Mm. Yeah. It's like, it's, it, because it's interesting when you say to be known fully, it's, it, there's even an aspect of being known in a way that you don't even know yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think we experience that through our, through our friends, wife, you know, parents that sometimes we experience this, this knowing of who we are that we only experience through them because they see something in us that we don't even see ourselves. Oh, that's brilliant. <clears throat> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just, you, you, uh, gave a line into a conversation that we had this weekend about, hmm. uh, your true voice. Oh, and without, we don't need to dig up that whole conversation, but I told a story to you and, um, a couple of other people, that when I was in college, I had a roommate and I had learned this song from this up and coming artist at the time named John Mayer. Mm. <laughs> I learned to play it on guitar and I was very proud of myself. And I sang it for my roommate, my friend Weston. And I finished playing the song and he looked at me and he was like, that's really good. And he goes, now how does Matt McCloskey sing it? And it kind of blew my mind because I was like, what are you talking about? I just sang it. He's like, no, you sang John Mayer playing the song, you know, it's like you covered it. Not even a cover though. You imitated it. How do you sing it? 
And I think I didn't know how to answer that because I didn't know how I sang. All I had done up at that point was imitate. Mm. And it took many, many years until at some point I thought, well, now I know how I sing. Mm. And I can sing in my own voice. I'm not imitating anyone else. And the place that that conversation went was really interesting because I, I made the case that actually you are imitating someone else. You're imitating yourself mm. once you find your true voice. And that can go, uh, you know, to the extent of like characterization, like in the case of Elvis, um, or I think Trump's another good example of that. I mean, he's imitating himself. Mm. He's imitating the character of himself. Okay. But so what does Matt McCloskey sound like? And what does it mean to be known fully? It's as if, you know, you get older and wiser and you accumulate more experience. You're more competent, but you still get into situations where like I could be in a situation where I say, okay, what does Matt McCloskey do in a situation like this? But it might be a new situation. Hmm. You know, I don't know. I'm going to have to find out, which means I'm going to have to try some things and they're going to have to fail. Hmm. And maybe I know that, well, Matt McCloskey tries new things and they fail and he corrects and he's gotten good at that. He's probably going to do that much faster than he did in his twenties or something like that. But I still don't know what he does, you know, but to be known fully is something like to say, God, what do I do in this situation? And God says, I know exactly what Matt McCloskey, the character of Matt McCloskey does in this situation, hmm. you know, and maybe he tells me and maybe he doesn't. Wow. That, that works in like many directions. Cause there's these, even this idea of like when you appeal to something that's higher than yourself, you can also acknowledge and things that come, come, uh, come apparent are maybe not as nice. Um, like there's, there's quite a few different, I think children's books that kind of, or adolescent books that kind of point this out. One is Aragon. Um, is that whenever someone sort of mentions something about you that you don't like about yourself and you, you, you're in denial of that very thing. And you tend those, those characters always tend to try to hide from, that very fact, like mm -hmm. you're a liar or you're a, uh, 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 a swindler mm -hmm. and you've always justified it in your mind on why those, th why you do those things. And, but when you're called out in a certain way, it's sort of like you have to sort of face that. And if you don't, then you tend to just hide from those ideas. And mm -hmm. that's sort of like the same idea of hiding from God, like Adam and Eve, it's like they did something that they weren't supposed to do, you know, metaphorically as far as eat that apple. And, and so they were hiding because they knew they did something they shouldn't have done and something, but whenever that acknowledgement of, of you're seen and you're known, it's like you, you're almost called to that higher calling of acknowledging it and confessing so that you can be more than who you are. Um, so I think that's the whole idea of, I think that's why it's also scary to um, acknowledge something greater than ourselves or that we are known. It puts us in reference to a greater truth. Mm. And, you know, if your truth is something very narrow, even like just do what you want. Hey, no, I'm just doing what I want. It's like, that's, you know, that's, that's what I'm here to do. 
It's like, well, what you're doing is really hurting a lot of people. <laughs> Maybe that's why <clears throat> I think you and I both find the statement, live your own truth. Mm-hmm. Oh, true. As very cringy. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not because it's wrong. Yeah, totally. It's because it's too narrow. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not enough. It's like, it's like the man who says, I'm satisfied. Like, really, you don't want more? You don't see more? Mm-hmm. When somebody says, I'm living, living my truth. You know, there's some part of that which should be, I think, celebrated. It's the individuality mm-hmm. of the person. And yes, you do have your own truth because you experience the world differently than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And it's actually uh, your moral obligation to interact with the world in the way that only you can, mm-hmm. because the world isn't <clears throat> as good as it could be if you don't. But when you start using that to justify your behavior yeah. and to ostracize others or protect yourself from criticism. I would say it sounds like it's more of like a, I am beyond reproach. Yeah. I'm living my truth. Yeah. So I'm beyond your reproach. If you have something that's something wrong with that. And the point that you made that I was trying to tie that into is I think the problem with that is your, well, your truth is too narrow then because your truth Mm. isn't recognizing its uniqueness. You're saying it recognizes your uniqueness. You're appealing to your uniqueness, but you're not recognizing that that uniqueness is only unique in reference to everything else. And so if your truth does not incorporate everything else, it's no good. It's it's so crazy because, uh, you know, we, we hit, we hit the, this paradox in so many places, which you are an individual and you are super special and, but at the same time, you are also part of a collective. You're, you're one of many. And that's a problem. That's one problem that's always been in philosophy is the one and the many. It's like, is it the individual or is it the community? Mm-hmm. And those things are always at war with each They're other. They're inter- interdependent. Interdependent and at war with each other. Yeah. You know, because the, the, the community wants no individuality. The individual wants no community. However, it's like when those two things commingle, it's like you see the value in each of them. Well, you can't even <laughs> see either of them without the other. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like, I suppose, the yin and the yang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was very. That was a very satisfying little run of dialogue there. It is. And it's also, it, it's also frustrating because it, you want it to be a little bit neater and more... Mm-hmm. Uh, succinct in saying like it's easier to say like live your truth it's like oh just kind of whatever i want to do i need to be i need to be um i need to be unfettered and free to do what i want Mm -hmm. it ties right back into the beginning of the conversation yeah and you know as we've discussed Many times before, it's it's back to Frankel's idea that you have to be in tension to be healthy. Mm. Being satisfied isn't healthy. Yeah. Being safe and comfortable isn't healthy. Oh, good point. You need to be in tension. And it also reminds me of... Um, I said it differently, like, in, in tension, but 
it sounds like you're saying like intentional. Oh no. Intention. You need to be in space tension. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I want to make that clear. Are, are you familiar with what a Prince Rupert's drop is? Mm-mm. Okay. So if you melt down glass till it's, you know, uh, a liquid, like you mm-hmm. imagine a glass blower, he's got a dollop of glass red hot on the end of a blow stick. Mm-hmm. If you let some of that drip down into water, into cold water, it will <clears throat> immediately harden into this teardrop shape. Mm-hmm. So it's a bulb with a kind of a long tail and they're really pretty cause they, each one ends up different just depending on the, like, uh, what is it called? Hydrodynamics or whatever of the water. And so they're all unique, mm-hmm. but it has this really interesting property in that you can pull it out of the water and you can set it down and you can take a hammer and you can hit the end of that, the little dollop that is now hardened as hard as you want and it won't break. Hmm. But if you basically just barely squeeze the tail end, the very tiny tail end, the entire thing will explode. Oh, wow. Not just break or crack, but literally explode huh. into tiny, tiny fragments. Mm-hmm. And so you, you look into why this is, um, and, and actually the, what, what we've learned about why Prince Rupert's drops are, uh, extraordinarily hard and won't break in the dollop part of it is why we have things like your Pyrex cookware. Mm-hmm. That glass is very difficult to break and bulletproof glass for that matter. And the concept is that basically what happens is you have this red hot liquid glass. And when it goes into the water, the see if I can get this right. The outside of it hardens much quicker than the inside Mm -hmm. and glass when it's liquid is like, uh, it expands when it's hot. And so the outside hardens. And then as the inside hardens more slowly, it contracts. And so it pulls on the outer shell. And now you have this little drop that's in high tension, Mm -hmm. but that makes it extraordinarily hard, Mm. but it's also susceptible to breaking. If you, break it at the very end because it breaks that tension structure. Wow. And that seems like somehow there's a corollary between that and what we've been <laughs> talking about, like the individual in the community, you need the two in tension with another, with one another to have a unit, which is structurally hard and resilient, hmm. but you can also infiltrate it through the individual, if the individual isn't aligned with the structure, Hmm. isn't aligned with the values, you can take poison one individual that can pull down the structure that's intention and the whole thing can explode. Yeah. I don't know where this analogy breaks down, but there's a part two. No, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to push on that because I'm just also thinking about how I, I think of like conservatives and liberals. It's like the, the present, uh, preservation of tradition over time and how that kind of gives us solidity to the community, but then also you need it to reform over time also. And right. there's this tension between reform and tradition that is always at tension and if one gets, if, if, if that, if that gets out of, 
symbi- a symbiotic relationship, it can be uh, disastrous for the for mm-hmm. the whole. And so I think that's something that you have this sort of the individual that does is usually the one who brings that or starts that sort of, Hey, this is something's not right here. You know, usually starts with somebody like the first mover, you know, the, the person who gets up and starts dancing and then the next person gets up, you know? And, um, but so again, I, but I, I don't know if it goes along with that, <laughs> that's that, that <laughs> analogy, but that's what kind of came to mind was like, you know, there's something that, um, Well, when you talked about reform, Mm -hmm. we're going to have to abandon the Prince Rupert's drop, but (laughs) it's it's, it's vulnerable, even though it's harder than normal glass. Mm -hmm. To reframe this, to come back to the original statement, like, what do you want and what do you not want? Mm. And you could say, well, in order to, if I set a high enough value, a high enough desire, then I'm going to have to do a lot of things that I wouldn't otherwise want to do. Mm -hmm. But maybe I can honestly say now I actually want to do those things because they're in service of something that I ultimately want. Mm. But the reform needed is that as you move toward what you want, you're going to have to have discipline, Mm. which is to say, Oh, I'm losing this. I thought I was going to say something really eloquent here, but (laughs) you have to have discipline, which is to say you might get focused on how miserable it is to do a menial task or to get up at 6am or whatever, whatever insert, whatever thing you really don't like doing. Mm -hmm. But if you need to do it to get to something that you really want, there are times where you'll, you'll zero in on how miserable it is to do the certain thing. Hmm. And maybe discipline is just reforming your concept of yourself and your desires to remind yourself that no, actually you do want to do this because this is what gets you this thing that you want. Hmm. All of that was in response to your word reform. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I think that's, I I think it's good because we're kind of like stumbling around this, this place. We're seeing this, the, the tension of, what you want and what sort of your, what's your duty or, uh, the discipline it takes to just do life in general. Well, I think what I'm trying to do though, is redefine the word discipline because we tend to think of discipline as the ability to do something you don't want to do mm. and bear and grunt it. Mm. And I don't think that's actually what discipline is. Yeah. Well, it definitely seems like that's more of the, the perversion of discipline. And, mm-hmm. I, and again, that's without a higher calling or without a higher value or principle that you're moving towards. Because then you can kind of almost justify all the things that you have to do because, you know, it's like, like I want to be healthy and, and be fit. So I'm going to do these certain things in order to do that so that whenever I am that, I feel the benefits of being healthy and fit. Mm-hmm. But there's discipline, like, but however, if it just becomes discipline, like this is what I do and you lose focus on the end goal. And again, these are, this is like a minor goal or minor value yeah. is being, is feeling good and being healthy. Well, now it's an obsession and other things in your life mm. are starting to, uh, that, degenerate because yeah, that's of that. It's an interesting point that you just made that feeling good or being healthy is a minor goal. Mm. 
And I thought, well, why is that a minor goal? Oh, because feel healthy. So that what? Yeah. Because I could say, well, if it's just to feel good again, then all you've done is made it much more difficult for you to be in service of your pleasures. Like if you just want to feel good, I mean, I can sell you some drugs and alcohol and sugar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's much, yeah. a much lower barrier, right? Mm-hmm. So why would you want to be healthy? That's, that's a goal that's in a goal. That's a desire that's in service of something else. Mm-hmm. And you might not know what that's in service of. Yeah. Maybe you should ask yourself. I think most of the things we do in life are more, we, we learn through these minor values or minor goals. Mm-hmm. And as we, as we move up, in that sort of hierarchy of minor goals and values, because we're not going to be satisfied at some point you hit that sort of like, am I strong enough? Am I fit enough? And or the lady right now, I follow her on Twitter. I forgot her name, but she's run like 60 marathons in a row. I mean, it's insane what she's doing. It's like, well, is she just never going to stop until she dies? Well, like, I like think when you does were, that, when does that end? You, you were know? making the point a second ago that that just becomes obsession, uh-huh. which obsession is in service of what itself. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it obsession. It's like a, <laughs> and I think she's awesome, but I mean, I get yeah, I, yeah. I just kind of playing it out. It's like, okay, when does this stop and why? Right. And do, do you, why would it stop? Lose and value? why would it continue? Yeah. Like, what do you do with your life? Yeah. Like, or is it, are you just going to run a marathon every day for the rest of your life? If you don't, do you lose meaning? Like, what what do you do then? You know, uh, you know, if you put all your value in your kids, and when your kids leave home, mm. what do you do? You're screwed. You're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> or you're going to be the overbearing or tyrannical father, or the uh, overbearing mother. You know. Yeah, it's, I mean, maybe it's easier to understand why money isn't a good high order value, mm-hmm. and harder to understand why something like family isn't a good high order value and fitness isn't a good high order value and even health isn't a good high order value. Yeah. But they're, they're all not a good high order value for the same reason, mm. which is that, well, what if you achieve them and you're unsatisfied mm-hmm. or what if you achieve them and just enter a constant loop? It's like, mm-hmm. well, Marathon every day for the rest of my life. Yeah. What kind of life is that? Or you just, you know, you just keep pursuing. I mean, money's not a bad thing, but you just keep stacking up more money. It's like, right. It, at some point the the value stops mattering mm-hmm. and you're not happy. Mm-hmm. You become a slave. Actually, no one's rich because no one's happy because they're rich. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because there's this, in this, in this, uh, in this analogies, all the different, analogies that we're kind of taking like it's interesting at some point something that's motivating and healthy and good you actually start to become a slave to and disempowered by and it's like this fine line like where that actually happens like something good can actually be can actually shift to something that's not good for you and that like <clears throat> like family's good and putting your kids first and and supporting them and stuff like and all those mm-hmm. kind of things but if you put all your value in that, it's almost like something demonic happens. Well, okay. So let's take for a second, the whole idea of putting your kids first. Mm -hmm. Here's where something demonic happens. I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
and it ties into the original proposition of like, I'm really good at doing things I don't want to do. I'm not very good at doing things I want to do or even knowing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Maybe part of that is, well, I'm going to take it away from me. Just imagine a person who puts their kids first. Their mm-hmm. kids are everything to them. Well, who are they? They are in service of their kids. Their kids are going to be spoiled. Their kids are not going to know what it means to grow up with responsibility. And they're not going to know who their parents are Hmm. because their parents aren't individuals. They are simply servants. And what good is that for the kids to not know their parents? Kids want to know their parents. Who Hmm. are you? What do you do? What do you like? Hmm. What does dad do in this situation? Mm -hmm. What does mom do in this situation? I mean, that requires you to be individuated, which means you, we say you should put your kids first, but I don't, we don't really mean it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we mean it in the sense of in a life or death situation, you will lay your life down for your children. Mm. Yes. But day to day, It does. It breaks down because it isn't that I put my kids first or I put myself first. It's that my kids have needs and I want to meet their needs, but not all of them. I want to meet enough of them that they're capable of learning how to meet more Hmm. so that they grow up. And part of that means that I need to show them the way, which means I need to be my own person, which means there's times where, you know, my my, one of my daughters comes into my study and says, Hey dad, will you do this for me? And I'm working on something. Maybe I'm journaling or or writing or practicing guitar. No, I'm doing something right now. You're not first to me right now. Mm. You might be first in a macro way, but in order for you to be first, I actually have to lead and in order for me to lead, I actually have to do something myself. Mm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's that's so right on. Like even like I loved it when Allison started dancing again, and mm-hmm. and just also for my kids to see that you know there's these things that their mom, my wife, like love and enjoy and pursue and work at, and it's outside of them, mm-hmm. but they also get to see and benefit from that uh, that pursuit of hers and. I think that's something that helps because again, the delicate balance of as being a parent is that and I was having a conversation last night with a, with a few guys about, about this is, you know, how do we, and what we talked about on the podcast last week too, like how do we give our kids the best future that we can? And some, most of it is through example. There's certain things that we can sit down and talk to them about and, and, Mm-hmm. and discuss mm-hmm. but a lot of it's through how we live our lives and and, if, and when we take you know our our personal um <clears throat> sort of things that we need to do for ourselves and sometimes put that ahead of our kids they learn something there that that no there's something in you that you need to take care of and it needs to be at the exclusion of others however that's not always the case. Right. Sometimes you need to put yourself aside and focus on Mm -hmm. those around you. And it's a delicate balance and you're never going to get it right. But 
Well, I think we have to the, teach them that. Maybe that's the beginning of wisdom. Mm, that's a good point. You have to know. You have to know when to and how to put yourself aside, your own needs aside, in service of someone else. Mm. But you also have to know when to exclude other people's needs in service of your own. <clears throat> if you don't learn that, you're <clears throat> gullible mm. and a fool. You'll be taken advantage of. <clears throat> I think a lot of the popular narrative is usually people's reaction to one or the other is like one is somebody who has basically put their needs to the side for other people for so long that they finally break yeah. and they realize the freedom of putting their own self first. Mm -hmm. And they're like, everybody should do this, you know? Right. <laughs> and then you have the other side where someone has always put themselves first and then they learn the value of putting others before themselves. Like everybody like, should do everybody this. Everybody <laughs> should do this. It's like, yeah. well, the answer is yes and yes, but just right. not to the extremes you guys have gone to, you know, it's like yeah. at some point you have to come to this balance of understanding. I mean, that's both of those examples were re revelations of balance, which revelations I, of the line, essentially, which I think is interesting because you see this a lot in, uh, famous people is there's this sort of like, Oh, you need to take care of yourself. And there's this, like, I feel like especially very successful people, they've, they've, driven hard to accomplish these goals and at the sacrifice of who they are in some, in some respect, you know, again, I'm, I'm making a broad general anecdotal <laughs> observation here, but then there's this sort of crashing and they realize that they need, they haven't been taking care of themselves and their values have been out of, out of place. <laughs> and so there's a, there's a huge swing into that yeah. other space. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. That was kind of abruptly, but, uh, an abrupt ending point, <laughs> but it's like clear we should end. <laughs> it's always so. Yeah. No, I think that's a good place to leave it. But one thing that I have, uh, noted and admired about other podcasters is that at the end of fairly intense conversations, there's certain people who are good at just being like, that's a great place to end it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Had a great time. And then it's over and you're like, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and with that, we're done. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, thanks for coming Cheers. out to the shores. <laughs> Love you all Love out you there. All. <laughs>